Hello, everybody. In case you haven't heard on the previous episode, we now have a sponsor. It's the CBD brand that I personally take and the one that's helped me tremendously in the past several months. It's Chemistry Bionaturals, and it's a company that makes all-natural, organically grown CBD oils and topicals. Each blend of their line of products is terpene-infused to bring you the targeted benefits to suit your needs. They use 99% pure pharmaceutical-grade CBD isolates and a hemp seed carrier oil to bring you omegas 3s and 6s for inflammation and overall health. All the products are also THC-free. Now, besides potency, Chemistry Lab tests their products for pesticides, metals, and solvents to ensure the safety and quality of their products, which, by the way, are created in an FDA-registered facility. All these lab results are published on their website for 100% transparency of their products. What they say is in the bottle truly is what's in the bottle. Most other CBD companies aren't as transparent as Chemistry, so you can never truly know what you bought from most brands. To find out more information on CBD and terpenes, as well as shopping their products, visit their site at chemistrybionaturals.com. Our listeners will get 15% off their first order when using the code PARANORMAL at checkout. All this info will be in the description of the episode. Now this episode's a pretty cool one because we talk about something that everybody loves, for whatever reason, true crime. Um, we discuss how crimes create paranormal, how um, we, we discuss serial killers, we also discuss paranormal forensics, pretty much anything dealing with crime. So this is the crime episode. Enjoy! Welcome to the Paranormalist Podcast. As always, I am your host, Kenny Dodson, and I'm here with the Paranormalist, Patty Wilson. Patty, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine tonight. How are you, Kenny? Pretty good. Can't com- Well, I... You had the plague. <laughs> I had the plague, and uh, you can still hear it in my voice, so forgive me for having a weird n- nasally voice, but I did contract the plague, unfortunately. I pulled through. I'm glad for that. I really am. I'm not that I wouldn't talk to you if you were dead, but it's just so much easier to do it this way. What I what I say to you, uh, I said you, you wanted to come over last week, and I said, um, no, you can't come over to the den of sickness or den of death, den of death, or whatever, something like that. And I'm like, oh my lord, what's going on over there? Um, but, but I stayed away. Yeah. Speaking of death, yes. This episode, we're going to be talking about crime um such as paranormal forensics uh crimes that have been solved through paranormal means how crimes can create ghosts etc 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 so um yeah which part of that do you want to start off with let's start with the most obvious part how crimes create ghosts and and the first one that comes to my mind um right now is like i said the ronald defeo murders up there and what we now know as the amityville haunting you know whether you believe that defeo willfully killed his family or was demonically influenced to kill his family he shot six family members in their sleep and then you know eventually went down to the bar near near his home and said hey somebody shot my family and then of course subsequently the Lutz family comes in and it's approximately a year later 
And, um, and I didn't know this until just today. I was actually listening to some old um, interviews with people from the um, Amityville haunting. And the Lutz family actually didn't just purchase the house. They purchased some of the furniture as well. Oh? Yes. So I had no that, idea. So that changes your perspective on everything? Well, it just kind of um, makes it, solidifies it a little more because not only um, did somebody displace these people, but also now somebody's in their home using their furniture. And you could make an argument for, for a possessed object or for them being upset because these people are now, you know, moving their stuff around. Because apparently the house was, um, it was completely furnished when they saw it, other than the the beds where the people had been killed. And I was listening with an interview of, to an interview of George Lutz's. And I knew George. And um, I was surprised by how candid he was in this interview. This was maybe 15 years ago. And he talked about the fact that, you know, they were offered most of the furniture in the house. And they had already sold their furniture and their two homes because it was a blended family. And they were going to make this new place be their place. And so they decided, because the, the offer was so good, to just keep a lot of the furniture. So the living room furniture, the dining room furniture, the be- um, the uh, bedroom uh, dressers from um, the little girl Missy's room were all some of the stuff that belonged to the DeVio family. Hmm. And, of course, then there is the concept of the haunting. Now, the haunting, if you want to believe it's it's true, which I actually do believe there really was a haunting there for many reasons. Um, I knew several of the people who investigated it as well as knowing George. And um, there were discrepancies. There was more than one layer of haunting there. There was supposed to be a Native American because at one point this was a burial ground or a burying place. And then, um, but there was this amazing photograph that you can get on, you can actually get it on the internet. It was taken by, um, I believe it was Ed Warren. And um, it was during an investigation after everybody had been um, out of the house. There were no children in the building at the time. And there's this very demonic, glowing-eyed little boy standing on, I think it's on the staircase or right at the top of the staircase looking out, watching them. And if you... Get a picture of, of one of the two little DeFeo boys. He's the younger of the, t- the nine-year-old DeFeo boy. It looks exactly like him, except this child's eyes are glowing and luminous like um, a cat whenever you flash a light at it. Like it had mass. Oh, it definitely had mass. It right. looks completely solid. But it has that eye shine yeah, yeah. that you would see from an animal. It's it's quite unnerving, a photograph. So, you know, I could make a very good argument that what happened in this house, this crime you know, caused the house to be more haunted. Now, was it haunted for everybody or was it haunted because there, you know, the, the Lutzes have kept the furniture. Nobody else has ever kept the furniture. Was it that because they were the first people to live in the house after the murders? Was it because they were into transcendental meditation and spiritualism and stuff like that? And so they were opening energies. Um, I don't know the reason behind it. I just know that it, it was that way. Yeah. So that you know, that's a very um, common theme. A lot of there's a lot of hauntings where somebody was murdered in a house or something. Um, I'm thinking of there's a, a place I know where um, they hear a child crying, and the story goes that um, this would have been back in the 1940s. The um, 
young woman that lived in the house with the daughter of the family that lived in the house at the time got pregnant and she managed to conceal the pregnancy and um, gave birth to the child in the um, tool shed basically and because she couldn't be pregnant because she couldn't have a child because of the time frame Mm -hmm. she smothered the baby and buried it on the northwest corner of the under the tool shed and even to this day people hear crying and um you know they have found the body of a, a small skeletal remains and they were um, reinterred in a family cemetery. There's another story from Williamsburg, which is my hometown. Um, and I can remember this story from the time I was a little girl. Um, my aunt rented the smaller half of a double house right beside my grandma's house. And she was so excited about it because she was going to be in town. She always lived out in the country with her husband. And he had gotten a job in town. So they moved in town and they had a little baby. And uh, every day, you know, she would come across the yard. My grandma babysat us and she would come across the yard and into the house. But after about two or three weeks, she stopped being, um, it wasn't just happy and excited. It was like she was running from something. Like you could see there was tension in her face and she was moving really quick. And me being me, even back then, I was curious. So I would sit under the porch and listen. I'm, I was terrible that way because I was curious. And um, she started telling grandma that she heard a baby crying in the basement of the house. And my grandma was like, no, that can't be right. You know, I'm sure you're, you're mistaken. Maybe it's the ba- your baby crying and it just echoes down there. She's like, no, it's different. It's different. Her son was maybe, I don't know, 11, 12 months old, had that big, healthy baby cry. Mm-hmm. She kept insisting this was the thin wails of a brand new newborn baby. And it's a very different sound. Any parent will tell you. You can tell the difference. Yeah. And um, so anyway, this went on for a co- several weeks and she wanted to move. Well, you can imagine how pleased her husband was with that whole idea. And he thought she was making it up and it was just all crazy until he ended up getting put on night shift. So he had to sleep during the day. Mm. So she would come and it always happened to her, she said, during the day. She would come over to the house and stay at grandma's all day long so he could sleep and the baby could make noise because babies don't care if you need to sleep. Right. And um, after about a week or two of him sleeping in the house during the day, he finally confessed to her he had heard the baby crying in the basement on multiple occasions. And um, eventually, within maybe another month to two months, they moved. Oh. I mean, they were really rattled by what was going on. So fast forward. Now I'm talking I was about eight or nine years old. So fast forward to I'm in my 20s and I'm married and I have my own first child and I'm getting ready to make supper one night and the news comes on. It was WTAJ News and they were like um, this little news brief, you know how they do the teasers right. in the commercials? Yeah. And it was like body of, of infant found in Williamsburg. And I'm like, what? That's my hometown. So I make sure to turn the news up and stop what I'm doing and watch. And here it's the same house, which is now a, a feed mill at the edge of town and the guy who owned the feed mill at the time had had to pull up some uh, plumbing pipes that were cracked and when he was doing it he uncovered a um, burlap sack and he tugged on the sack and whenever it come out of the ripped open he found the bones of a baby so of course he stopped doing what he was doing and called the police and they came and sure enough it's the bones of a baby 
And our best guess is there was somebody who lived in the house at one time who was very, I mean, everybody in town, it's a small town, everybody in town knew everybody. Right. That the person was fairly promiscuous and that this is perhaps from that particular time period because the bones would have dated from approximately then and the sack. The sack wasn't rotted to pieces. Like if it was 100 years old, it would have been rotted to pieces. Right. So, um, you know, did she smother the child? Was the child stillborn? Who knows? But definitely something, a crime of some sort, created this haunting. Yeah. Um, But, you know, there's all kinds of crimes. There's a place in Altoona where a guy, um, he robbed a, a... he robbed a person or a place. We're not sure. It just said robbery. And um, ended up going into somebody else's home. This would have been in the early 1900s. And um, got shot in the basement of the house by a police officer. And he's seen in the house. And you hear a lot of those kinds of stories as well. You know, sudden death, a lot of drama and a lot of trauma. And I'm sure his his um, adrenaline was really pumping. Now, is he actually um, there or is he just a trace memory? Which might be what happens with the babies as well. Right. That there's more of a trace memory. I would hope so. Lingering than, than an actual spirit of a human being. Right. But yeah, crimes quite often, you know, can do that. And, um, you know, and there's also, there's also a set of, of stories um, that pertain to people who solve their own deaths or assist people from beyond the dead. For example, there's a story from down in Maryland about a cop who um, was driving along the road one night and he wasn't thinking crimes, I'm sure. He was on his way home. And he saw a body laying in a, um, in like a ditch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a police officer, he's like, what the heck? So he turns the car around and goes back and it's not there. But he clearly saw a female body naked laying in a ditch. And... It puzzles him, and so he sees it a couple other times on his way home, and it's always late at night, and it's always in the same position, and it's always this naked woman in a ditch. And his first thought, he actually called a buddy to come help him look, because he was sure she might have, maybe she crawled out of the ditch, and she's trying to get help, but she's disoriented. And then after he saw it the second and third time. I was going to say, not over and over again. Yeah, Yeah. but after he saw it the second and third time, then, Mm. you know, he began to question it. So he starts asking some questions about um, that area, you know, just out of curiosity. And an older cop says, you know, that reminds me. Right there in front of that old house you're talking about, there was a girl who disappeared. Hmm. And um, he tells the story about how this girl disappeared in the late 60s, early 70s. And they never found her. And they, um, some of the people believed that she had run away. And others thought that she was kidnapped by a boyfriend and done away with. But they never found a body. And it ended up reopening the crime because of it. Now, whether, whether there was a, um, any decisions made beyond that. But he actually convinced the, um, the police office to open up this crime again and take another look at it. Because obviously she was restless something was wrong with this whole thing yeah well do you think that's the case or do you think it was a a trace memory too the only reason i ask is if if a ghost is laying there lifeless Mm -hmm. um they if perception's reality they wouldn't perceive themselves to be lifeless right so like have you ever heard of a a ghost that just lays still like that but doesn't like interact or 
move or yeah actually, it doesn't seem like they wanted... actually i have and i'll okay. tell you a story um there is, and this is a very famous story. This was actually on Unsolved Mysteries many years ago. And it was about a young woman and her son. And they were going across country for her to take a new job. So it's the first time she ever really left home. Mm-hmm. And she has um, finished college. And she's been, she got pregnant when she was in high school. And she has a little boy. And he's like five years old, six years old. And she took this job all the way across country. And she decides this is going to be her, her grand adventure. She's worked really hard to build a good life and she found this really good paying job out west so she's driving along and every day she um she stops at diners in different places and calls her mom and tells them you know hey this is where i'm at and this is what we're doing and this is where i'm going to stay for the night and just kind of stays in touch she's very close to her parents and um she has to go over this one particularly bad section of mountains in i believe it's in um, california and um she called her parents that evening and she said, I'm really tired. I just want to get over this mountain to the other side. There's a nice little motel there that, I've, um, that I'm going to book a room in and we're going to be okay. I'll let you know when we get there. She doesn't get there. Mm-hmm. So the next day, she still doesn't call in. So the, her family calls the police department in that area and says, you know, our daughter is missing. It's been 24 hours since she checked in. She never waits that long to check in. Um, maybe her car broke down. Maybe she was in an accident. She has our little five-year-old grandson with you, her. Can you check? And the police officers are, they look and there, and there's nothing. No car accidents, no people admitted to hospitals, no anything. So they get back in touch with the family and they said, no, everything's okay. She must have made it to wherever she was going. So they, one officer's just kind of puzzled by it. And the family calls back the next day and asks some more questions. And he's, his heart's kind of tugged by this whole story, you know. And from everything they're saying, she isn't the kind of person to just disappear. So he decides to drive over this mountain. He drives over it once or twice and nothing. And he drives over it a couple more times and still nothing. Well, he gets to the other side of this hotel a couple times and he asks them and nobody's ever seen her on the other side. So they know she's disappeared between this pit stop and the other side of this mountain. Somewhere in that area has to be the last place she was. Well, a few days go by and um, he comes in and he's looking at the blotter and there's this call that had come in earlier that night. He's working the night shift and it was a a couple who around 1030 at night were coming home from a party and um, the woman was so blown away by what she thought she saw that they actually went down to one of the emergency call booths. I know people nowadays can't imagine having to have a call booth, but every so right. far yeah. in the, every so far along the highway, there used to be call booths for emergencies because we didn't have cell phones in the 80s, you know? And um, so they actually went down and called and what she said she saw was a naked girl laying along the side of the road. And they had turned around and gone back and they couldn't find her. But they were so sure that they saw her that they called the police. Hmm. And a police officer went out and drove up and down the road, didn't see anything. But this other officer, when he saw the call, it's in exactly the area where this girl disappeared. And he thinks, I wonder if, I just wonder. So he goes the next day when he gets off work and decides he's just going to walk that part of the mountain. Mm Mm-hmm. And he walks it, and that's when he sees it. Because you can't see it, this ravine, from the highway. There's too many trees and too much brush. There's a car down in the ravine. And it's the same color, make, model, 
etc is her car and he goes down there and there's her the girl and she's been thrown out of the car and she's dead it looks like she's been dead on impact and inside the car still hanging in his car seat is her son and he's still alive okay good <laughs> i was and... holding my breath for that i'm like <laughs> Don't tell he me. was in pretty bad shape. He was very dehydrated and what have you, but still alive. So the officer scrambles back to the highway, gets assistance, and they get the little boy out. And um, when the woman who saw the naked girl along the edge of the road laying saw a picture of this girl, she immediately exclaimed, oh, my God, that's the girl I saw laying on the road. So how did a dead woman get to the highway and... Why was she naked? Well, I don't know why she was naked. She maybe just couldn't, didn't manifest the clothing. She didn't, she wasn't showing any body parts, but she was naked. She was laying on like face down, like sideways, you know. Well, I'm just saying. But I don't know she, why. If her body wasn't over there. I don't know. Why would she? Okay. I don't have an answer to that. But she was laying along the road and she was naked. And yet she had died on impact, according to the coroner. Um, and their thought process, the family and even the police officer was that, she had been so in love with her son. She loved him dearly. This was her her inspiration for changing her life. Mm-hmm. And that she needed to get help, right. even from beyond the dead. And there are other stories like that. There are probably a half dozen such stories that I know of, of parents who have um, come back from the dead to rescue a child. There was one I just read here probably two days ago about a woman. She, she took some drugs. I'm not saying she was responsible. And was driving along she was high she had her child strapped in the car seat in the back and she went over into a pond and nobody found them for about 14 hours and the car's upside down in the pond she's drowned and probably had drowned within seconds minutes of getting into the water it's 40 degrees out so the water is exceedingly frigid in fact the divers who have to go in um they're they're dressed for hypothermia and they're they're still going to have to limit the amount of time they can stay in the water right but as they get into the water and they're getting ready to try to flip the car over because they can see an arm dangling out of the driver's side Mm -hmm. so they know there's a dead body in there they hear a woman scream and she says help me help me my son's in here and the officer that was with the diver said ma'am we're trying to help you what we'll do we're doing the best we can hold on thinking, oh my God, she must have hit an air pocket or something that's saved her. Right. And when they flip the car over, she is obviously dead and has been dead for the whole length of time. And the baby is in the water, but somehow there's like this little pocket of air that the child was right near the child's head and the child could keep their head up into the pocket and manage to do so. But the child had um, hypothermia, of course, yeah. from being in the cold water. But the question becomes... How did she scream Talk for under help? Water, How whatever. did she scream yeah. for help under the water? Dead. Right. Okay. So how did they hear her? They described it as sounding just like you and I talking. It was a normal voice. They thought that somehow she had gotten into a pocket of air or something. Right. And she could talk. So, they so, didn't have any idea until they flipped the car over. So they heard it in their mind, I guess? They all heard it. All four people that were in the water heard it. Right. They thought they heard it the way we hear. Yeah. So she made sound somehow. Right. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that wouldn't they have thought that was weird because sound doesn't really travel underwater all that well? Well, it doesn't, but at that moment, you know, you never yeah, know. Yeah, that's true. They're probably like, oh, okay, they're... 
she's still alive. Oh my god! And that just right, kind right, of spurs right. them up, and she's screaming, "There's a child!" You know, yeah, my energy. son's in here. Yeah. So they weren't really thinking about all that stuff. They mm-hmm. were, you know, they were just reacting to the situation of the moment. But you know, crimes and accidents and things like that—they are the genesis for a lot of ghost stories. Well, this is the crime episode, so we should get back yeah. to that probably, <laughs> um, because everybody loves true crime. I do. I love crime stories. Why? Why is that? Isn't that kind of bad that we're like, we all watch Making a Murderer, right? And well, see, I I don't know that I necessarily like them. I like the psychological aspect of yeah. it, obviously, because of who I am. Okay. Yeah. But I also um, I love the stories where um, people persevere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, the one who gets away, the one who outsmarts them, the that part. I like that part of it too. Yeah. Um, you know, Ted Bundy was a very charming animal. Let's get real. That's what this dude was. Um, but I like I think maybe part of us likes the fact that they're fallible and we know they're going to get caught. Obviously, the story's being told. So somebody figured it out. Right, but and that's the thing. They they want to get caught. A lot of serial killers, like that's that's what they actually ultimately want. Some of them will actually tell you that they want to outsmart you, know. you until you, they get caught, pretty much. Well, they they don't really. I mean, some want to, want to get caught. There's even some that will send letters to the press saying, "Oh God, help me! Right, you got to catch me soon. I can't stop myself." Yeah. kind of a thing. But then there's others who um, enjoy that pitting their wits. They think they're smarter than everybody. And I think Bundy was one of those, you know, that enjoys pitting their wits mm-hmm. against the police officers and what have you. Right. And they think of themselves as invincible. They're not. But you really don't hear very many stories of the criminals haunting sites. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Why Why is it? Is it because is it it's something that they wanted to do so their business is finished? Or you'd think they'd still want to be killing people after there are a couple very rare stories of of places that are darkly haunted yeah shall we say but um overall it's usually victims which of course you know fits very well into that timeline of an untimely death Mm -hmm. have you experienced any of these have you have you experienced a ghost that has committed a crime not that committed a crime well other than i met that guy the um when i told you about that got shot in altoona okay that spirit but I have met a lot of crime victims as well. Yeah. I mean, um, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, why is it that they, there aren't more criminals coming back? You think that would be their happy time? Well, no, I think it's more about they don't have any regrets. Yeah. You know, the, the person who's been killed, they have a lot of unfinished business. Right. Whatever that might be. Whereas the criminal... Each person's... A new business you know almost. they they, yeah. they they don't really have any kind of unfinished business they right. they are um i think it might be has something to do with their narcissistic personality or their mm. sociopathic personalities you know that they're not the kind of people who would want to come back or would want to continue on reaching out to mankind they didn't really reach out in life why would they want to reach out in death yeah yeah that makes sense they're not going to try to be charming after they're deceased. Like I said, there are a few places. H.H. H. Holmes. There are stories about um, hauntings by H.H. H. Holmes. Patty. Is he Jack the Ripper? I don't think so. 
I don't think no. so either. <laughs> but but that, um, that was a, that's like an actual docu-series. That is. And it was actually very interesting. I watched it. Yeah. I didn't get to watch it yet, but it, it is. Cool. Um, and, and there was like evidence to, follow. I like that kind of stuff, you know, where the evidence leads you in certain directions. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't for a moment believe that the two were the same person. Um, but you know, you don't hear anything about most of them. Like you don't hear any stories about Jack the Ripper haunting. You hear about victims, right? But not the others. Um, but with the H. H. Holmes, there are stories about a dark energy in the area, and um, you know, there are stories about the area in Philadelphia where he was buried mm-hmm. um, under a lot of concrete. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I- I guess it, it does pique your interest because you go, how can someone do this? And getting it, like, figuring out. Because I always equate serial killers to basically being a ghost that's physical. It's, like, so hard to believe that it actually exists for most people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how can somebody like this exist? And it's I, I, we probably are more obsessed with anomalies, I should say. Things there that aren't like the norm. I don't know. I'm just talking to myself at this moment, but <laughs> trying to no. figure out like why do why do we care so much? You know, like why do we want to well, watch I think a, we all, we all a like documentary? A, we about like these a mystery. People? Yeah, we all like a mystery, um, myself included, and um, we like to see things unraveled, and we go, oh, that's how that happened, right? You know, I think there's a per a component of wanting to see the bad guy get caught and the good guys win. Um, but now it's more your. It seems like they're they're wanting you to cheer more for the bad guy, such as making a murderer and all kinds of other documentaries that yeah. you know. I don't know if they want you to cheer for them, to but they want you innocent. to. Um, well, I think making a murderer is an anomaly in and of itself because I think the arg- argument there is that the guy didn't do it and that he was framed basically mm-hmm. by the police and they're saying that this murderer was made because he really didn't commit the crime right that's an anomaly um but there are like a whole bunch of other uh ones like that now yeah. and, and i will say i want to say this like they estimate that 40 percent of the people on death row are innocent so if that's true that's terrifying I thought it was way lower than that. No, that's what I've, I've read estimates that the 40, about 40% of the people on death row are not guilty of the crime that they're convicted of. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if that's true, if 20% is true, you know, it would be terrifying. Right. And we, we see stories all the time of people who were wrongly convicted and then DNA evidence or something like that comes up and changes it. Right. We talked about the handprints yeah. that, that won't disappear. And, but, you know, just so I think that there's an element of we're curious we are curious. Well, that's why do we look at uh, accident scenes as we drive by? True. Yeah. So this is a proverbial accident that we get to look at, and we can look at it in the comfort of our living room, and nobody else needs to know. And wow, isn't that something? And it sort of sparks something inside of us. Maybe a survival instinct. Maybe we feel superior because we. Well, didn't it's probably do it. the same reason why you watch a horror film, honestly. Just because it makes you, yeah, it makes you feel something. Well, I think maybe if we would wire people's fear. brains, it would be, um, we would see that there was an adrenaline rush attached to it, which, you know, adrenaline can be addicting. Yeah. I'm sure there's endorphins and yep, I'm sure going on there. So I think that might have a, a part to play in it, why people are so fascinated with the subject. Yeah. So 
let's shift. So we talked about the victims and we mm-hmm. talk about the who commits, yeah, the murderers. But what about the people who are trying to figure it all out now who it might be a cold case or whatever? Like, like you and Mark talked about paranormal forensics, but I mean, we didn't have time to really expand upon right. what that means. But what what is happening? Where is it going well, I mean, we only work on it a little bit every year because we, we have other things we have to work on too. But the concept behind it was that what if the dead could come back and in some way help us to not necessarily solve the crime but as much as to understand the dynamics of the whole criminal situation differently than what's written in history. For example... Well, you can't um, prove that in court. So. Well, this is one that's not even for court at that point. I right, mean, that's what I mean. It's it's only to further the investigation. It's to it's to set up leads. It's not it's not like we're going to have somebody. I mean, there are a few cases where you know a victim actually their testimony was placed in court. Basic like there's a, a case from West Virginia where the young lady was murdered by her husband. He strangled her, and her mother kept having nightmares. And in the nightmares, her daughter came back to her and she unwound this scarf that was around her neck whenever she was buried. And she said, look what he did to me, mom, you know, and she's telling her mom, he strangled me, he strangled me. And um, this mother got so convinced her daughter was murdered that she actually harassed the DA. This would have been in the late 1800s. She harassed the DA to have her daughter's body exhumed till the guy's like, okay, fine. If I dig her up and she's not got a broken neck, are you going to be happy? Because we had a doctor look at her. Mm-hmm. And they didn't put a broken neck on her death certificate. And she's like, yes. So they dug her up. And it turned out that um, her husband, the guy who murdered her, was friends with the doctor. And the doctor covered it up. But she did have a broken neck. And her mother was allowed to testify in court um, as to what her daughter said her the man did yeah but regardless they, so i mean so you're looking at yeah, yeah, yeah i mean so that's slightly different but it's i mean we're not looking for that level we're looking for new clues or new ways to look at the angles of the yeah. crime so we um use various paranormal methods um evp dowsing rods pendulums um things like that and people who are sensitive who are not given privy are not privy to the whole story but they are um just given a picture or an object or something and there's you know what are you getting off of this mm-hmm. and then when you make a good connect with a victim um then sometimes you can give information that would change the complexion of the events and explain things that the police were not able to explain in that time frame now the ultimate goal obviously would be awesome if we could start solving crimes this way you know well why i mean are you guys the only ones that do this that you're aware of yeah we've been working on it for a couple years and like why um, isn't this happening more well first of all for all these first of all you have to understand that you'd have to convince a police officer which is fine yeah but they're not gonna they're not easy to convince first of all Second of all, um, the information that you get is often ambiguous. And in hindsight, you go, oh, my God, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But when you give it to them, you know, it's like I did I did a reading on a case. And the story, what, what I kept getting is her husband killed her. 
it was um there's cold and there's wet because a lot of times when i do a case like that um i just see through the victim's eyes so i don't have all the pieces mm-hmm. i just have the pieces of what she or he saw and um that's what i got the impression i'm cold i'm wet um and then the, she was moved and i could see ice and like a hand in the water and ice and it was just very, very cold and wet. Well, it turned out that the person had actually murdered the, their spouse and put her in um, the water, dumped her in a creek. But the body didn't wash away, and so he got nervous. Mm-hmm. And he ended up taking her and putting her in a freezer. So it all made And he actually murdered her in the middle of the winter. So it all made sense. But it, what, would it, what is it to give to a policeman? You know, none of that makes sense now. But like when I read the story... After they found the body, I was like, oh, my God, that's what that meant. So that's the problem with it. Right now, it's so far into its infancy that we have to be able to get things that are generating leads. Yeah. And we haven't gotten that far yet. We're working on it, on different techniques and what have you. And then you also have to find a spirit that's willing to talk. And the one thing that's beautiful about it is the entire paranormal panorama today is all built around you got to go to the place where the person died, right? Like you go to the penitentiary, you go to the insane asylum, you go to the um, the murder site, you know, the Lizzie Borden murder site, that's something like that. But the truth of the matter is paranormal researchers never went to the sites in the beginning. It, this is a recent phenomena. You can ask the spirits to come to you. So that's what we do. We don't go to every site. We pick... A crime. Well, they pick a crime. I don't know what the crime's going to be. And then all the data is gathered that's known and it's kept between two people mm-hmm. um, who are one of them is um forensic psychologist and the other one is she does a great deal of the research for us. And then Mark, who does the equipment like the EVP and stuff, and I don't know anything. So that when we come in, we're cold. Mm-hmm. And whatever we're getting will make more sense to them than it does to us. So we just have to give out the data and hope that it makes sense. So in the last couple of years, you, it hasn't actually led to a conviction we of have, any sort. We have not that... tried it. We, we chose to not do an actual crime that's not solved today. Uh-huh. We started with cold cases so we could practice it and tweak it. Um, old cases that are 100 years, approximately 100 years old, or 75 years old. Yeah. Um, the reasons being because there are so many, um, first of all, there's a lot more data. Second of all, most of the players are not alive. What are the odds, you know, if we would be generating things this way that we would eventually have some crazy person who thought they need to take us out? Right. That was a consideration. Um, also, what if we are wrong about something and we generate a false lead as we're learning how to do this and yeah. we get somebody convicted? I mean, there are a lot of things that we thought about prior to doing it. We've got to try it, but we need to. So that we found cases that had a lot of questions, mm-hmm. but the gen- the basic genetics of the case were already laid in stone. And then they were angling for specific information and we were trying to provide it. To see if it's even possible. Well, a case that old, I mean, could it even ever be solved? Yeah. I like, mean, even if you generated a lead. 
if everybody's dead, it might I change. Mean, well, it, it might change the way that the actual everything is um, like the put together. Of it. Yeah. yeah. So it might not be that you know. I mean, why did such and such happen this way? We might give them information that they can go back and verify. You know what? She's right. So and so was in that building that night. Yeah. It's in the affidavits that they put into the district attorney's office or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's in the testimony. And nobody ever thought about that person being the one. Gotcha. You know, so you could be that kind of a deal. Right. And yeah. that's so what So it can't looking. be 100% proved because you can't... No, but we can go back and yeah. pull testimony. Okay. So you're just doing it as an exercise at this moment. Yes, because we have to learn how to do this right first. Right. Well, how can there be a right and wrong? Well, wrong would be if we would generate information that we're misinterpreting. Because the, the secret to doing this is you can't interpret anything. Right. Well, you said that you just give them what you picked up. Mm-hmm. You're not, your job isn't to even interpret anything, is it? It isn't. But the problem is you're human. Yeah. So we have to learn to tell the difference between wishful thought and a real lead and how to leave it lay at that. Uh-huh. And then the other thing we had to learn how to do is also, um, from my perspective in particular, we wanted to see if these entities um, would stay with us, would go on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what was going to happen in that? Because we're now digging up old pain. Right. So there are a lot of questions and a lot of things to think about prior to ever going to a police officer and saying, I think I could help you. And, you know, and honestly, I won't lie. There's also an element of if I were ever right or anybody's right, a psychic's right, they have been accused of committing crimes before, you know? Yeah. Because they had information that wasn't public knowledge. Yeah. So all that has to be thought about. Yeah, but people are more open these days. They well, some people are more open. Yeah, but like I was saying, like how science fiction and science fact are starting to collide a little bit. You know, it's like supernatural is starting to collide a little bit with science. So people are more open to dimensions and you know other other right. supernatural forces. As it's it's funny because it's like as religion is like kind of dying off, like people are believing in this type of stuff well it, it's happened before i mean Which, it's the height of the i don't get how you can the separate height, them the height of the spiritualist movement yeah. was the same thing you know conventional religion was very strict and so they were looking for something that still had a lot of spirit so to speak meaning uh, yeah. a lot of meaning to it but that um was not quite as constricting mm-hmm. you know i mean ostensibly someday down the line there might be once the the CIS, you know, um, leaves the scene, the crime scene investigators, um, you know, leave the scene, they might bring a person in and just have them give impressions. I don't know. Um, and there have been cases where that has happened already. But um, to make it like a common practice, you know, that's that's somewhere down the road. But we're just trying to stick our foot in the water and see where it goes. Have EVPs ever been admissible in court? Not that I am aware of. Okay. There have been dreams that have been admissible in court. There's actually dreams that have solved crimes. The one I gave you. Um, there's another one that, that was in the 1980s or in the early 90s of a young um, young woman who was a nurse. And she was murdered in her, her house. And um, the um, there was a doctor, a female doctor at the hospital who began to have horrible nightmares and she would speak with this other woman's voice. And her husband, that was also a doctor, finally the information 
that the woman was giving when she was in these trances about who the murderer was and what have you was so compelling. He went to the police. He had two doctors going mm-hmm. to the police. And the, the police actually took the information and solved the crime. They actually found that it was, it was a, a maintenance man that had um, gone into the house to help remove a TV. And then while he was in her apartment, made a pass at her. And when she rebuffed him, he raped her. And then he set her body on fire on a mattress to try to cover up for what he had done. And she, his, and there's no doubt about it because he gave her jewelry to his girlfriend. He realizes, did he realize that bones don't just turn to ash that's that easily i i know i don't know that he was thinking you know yeah i mean that just seems like a horrible <laughs> idea well i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm well for this, there's a lot of reasons why it's a horrible idea first of all the well, body is 98 percent fluid so you know so it's it's not easy to burn a human body right and it has to be an exceedingly hot fire and you know so no it just scorched the room and and yeah uh, you know i'm sure it burned the body a little bit on the outside but um but her um channeling through this other doctor it's probably the appropriate term channeling um what happened what she saw who it was actually generated enough information to convince a policeman to go and look again and there was a distinctive piece of jewelry that came from her home country that nobody else had and when they were talking to this man's girlfriend she was wearing it she didn't know Mm. She didn't know anything about what had happened. Right. And then when she he was asked about it, and they actually have photographs of this woman wearing it too, the, the dead woman before she, you know, at like a Christmas party or something. Yeah. And they sh- asked her where she got it. And she said, oh, my boyfriend gave it to me. Isn't it beautiful? He said he found it in a secondhand shop. And so that starts the linking of the two. Yeah. So, okay. So like EVPs, not admissible in court that we're aware of anybody knows any different or you know of any other paranormal means that have been admissible in court please put in the comments because um we're very curious to know but um like the exorcism of emily rose Mm -hmm. that type of thing i mean that was a fully true story right like it was based on a true story yeah it's just kind of like the exorcist was based on a true story but they they changed elements of it um, and if you would um, actually see the exorcism or hear the exorcism tapes from the real event, um, there's no way you can do justice to what really happened. Right. But like what they did with the movie, mm-hmm. at least, you know, did was all of that. Like they they allowed those tapes in court and, you know, people got to listen to that. To for, for a different reason. Yeah. Just for a different reason. Because they were arguing that. Um, these people had starved her to death and that they were, their religious fervor had, um, caused them to become unhinged and, um, not have any empathy for this young woman who was dying of starvation. Mm -hmm. And their argument was the devil had her and and we fed her, she vomited it up and she couldn't absorb nutrients and what have you. Um, and that's why they were entered, um, as material evidence that this is why they thought what they thought. And by the prosecution then you know their argument was no listen to her she was you know she was clearly um delusional at this point because they had um browbeat her so badly yeah but they disproved it because she humans can use multiple sets of vocal cords at the same time um 
when they want to, right? Like Buddhist monks can do it. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? It can, but it's not the norm. But if okay. have you ever heard but, the actual exorcism tapes? No, no, no. I've, I haven't heard it, and I probably will never listen to it. I have, I have listened to <laughs> Honestly. Them. But, I mean, I saw the movie, and and that was their, like, argument, was that it can be done. Therefore, yeah, but I think the argument's there's flawed. There's a rational explanation. The argument's you know? flawed. Just because I can turn a fan on to make wind doesn't mean that all wind is because I turned a fan on. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that was my thing. I'm like, how did they accept that? as the re- well, in, rebuttal i mean in because reality, obviously they were convicted yeah but he didn't act the priest didn't actually go to jail right it was some just, of them went to it, jail oh they did in real some life because in the movie life. in the movie he gets off with time served but um they work some of them were convicted but again you're, you're looking at something that's pretty nebulous at that point and that's really a matter of spiritual faith and you know really what happened to her but the tapes are are heartrending yeah yeah it's just interesting like and i've seen things on i've seen things on exorcism tapes that there is just no human way to explain like i was watching one um with john zaffis one time of an exorcism that he participated in and um the man's his his hair was like kind of pulled back so you could see his forehead very well and a gash spontaneously opened and blood starts pouring down this man's face now there's a camera trained on him it's literally on a tripod slaved right at him yeah it isn't going anywhere and he's screaming and what have you and then um the thing closes up is just like it opened and there's no blood on his face and i can't explain that or he cried blood instead of tears and it would fall down and there would be nothing but you could see the darkness of the blood rolling down his cheeks and then it would just be gone now is that physically what's happening or is that what all of you are perceiving no that's what the camera perceived well that that's just what i'm saying like is it what everybody in the room would have perceived and somehow the camera picks it up also. No, I, I think the argument would be that the camera is an unbiased observer. It only picks up what physically happens. Okay, so you don't think a camera can ever be manipulated? I think, well, I mean, you can make that not... Peter Horus is probably the only argument against it, is that there are people who claim that they can take pictures inside their mind, of their mind's eye, like photographs, like uh, old Pol- the Polaroids that spit out the picture. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a few people over the course of time that have claimed that. But... Um, as a general rule, no. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying there's there's no force that you've ever heard of that was able to make everybody see something, but also make the camera see it too. Like, it you, emit, I could say you can emitted make a, some sort of energy. I don't know. I think you could make the humans see a hallucination, right? But I don't think that the camera will, because okay. the camera is just going to record whatever is physically able to bounce off of. Yeah, I was just wondering if that was ever at all possible. I mean, I can't tell you it's absolutely impossible because you can't prove anything like that. Um, You can't prove a negative, that it cannot happen. But I have never seen it happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. And knowing the mechanics of cameras, I would argue that it's highly unlikely it would happen. Yeah. I was just thinking in the way that the lens acts as kind of like our eye lens and other stuff and everything is it energy does, but and the i don't know <laughs> the mechanism for the recording is completely different absolutely yeah yeah for sure okay interesting um i 
think we do have to wrap it up though we do but if anybody has any true crimes that they know generated a haunting we would love to have you share them and maybe we'll talk with you about them in a future episode because this is a fascinating subject very much so especially with everybody loving on true crime these days yeah. <laughs> there are memes I, I, everywhere I, I, like... I have i have my own series of podcasts i listen to for that you listen to podcasts of course i do do you want to plug them do you want to plug I, the podcast? I, um, Lord and Arts. I think that the podcast done by Lord and Arts is absolutely phenomenal. This gentleman does a huge amount of research, and he has a team that does it. He writes scripts. He really goes out of his way. He talks to the families of the victims. Um, it's I am hats off to him and his research techniques. It is not a guy just off the cuff shooting. He this guy really puts his heart, mind, and soul in it, and he. Um, you can tell he has a passion for telling the stories and for helping the victims. Yeah, I don't know how they put that much work into a podcast, honestly. I think it's his living now. It's how he makes his living. But still, that's like so much work. And he does, I think, three or four different podcasts. But um, it's, so the, the company is called Lord and Arts. And there's like you know three or four different um, podcasts he does, a couple with a couple different people. And then he does a couple that are his own. Um, and he lives and breathes it. He has to 24 hours a day because he's always got new stories. He follows up on his old stories. He, it's a really, I, I find his stuff to be interesting because it's so well documented. Awesome. So. Yeah, it's like visually. Not, yeah, not that he needs a plug from poor old me, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> visually true crime and uh, and audio, you know, audibly true crime. That's what everybody's into these days. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess horror films are probably, well, horror films are getting better again. Every year there's like one or two that comes out that are like really good. And then the rest of them are just like B movies that fall off to the side. Yeah, it's just when the studios do a horror film, they usually try to do it better than it was kind of a throwaway thing for them and now they actually give it a budget and all that stuff like the conjuring and whenever you have the human element added they make sure it's a good script and then they they put it out i just saw new chucky movies coming out uh one did yeah it just came out in Redbox. yeah yeah so that's on dvd now yeah i was gonna i didn't my, see it my youngest my oldest son is terrified of like dolls creepy dolls so is mark by the way mark does not like dolls <laughs> Did you see Annabelle? Did I? Yeah. Oh my, yeah. I yeah. Well, not the the second one. No, I saw the first one. And Annabelle Creations is so good. It's but, so good. But the real doll only is only it's a rag doll. Is what it really is. I mean, it's the Hollywood takes things and they just don't tell a story. They have to make it bigger and more flamboyant and blah blah blah. Yeah, but it wouldn't be as cool if it was. No, it's it's a creepy little rag doll. <laughs> Well, no, I, I've seen pictures <laughs> of it. It's I'm a just, little I'm just doll. saying, like, what they did with it is, you know, more and, befitting you know, of a movie. And the, the stuff about the, you know, the crayons writing, that all happened. So, you know, that's that's good. That's creepy enough. We'll just stick with what's real. Yeah. I would prefer a real story to I would honestly it. rather it not be real <laughs> than I was and, like, um, and just have it in movies. To come back around to what we did, started with, I started with the Amityville Horror. And when I was listening to the interviews, um, they were asking... George Lutz about the blood coming out of the walls. And he said, no, no, no. There was a seepage out of the um, key locks in the doors. We don't know what it was, but it would seep. And we'd have to get up in the morning and wipe this black sludge. And he's like, so I think they were trying to represent it, but they couldn't just like let something drip out of a keyhole. It had to be like the whole wall. Right. It's that, that a little bit's good, then more's better. You, do you think he would be on? 
George Lutz? Do, do, can you call him up? Only from the dead, honey. He died a couple years ago. Oh, nuts. Yep. <laughs> okay, well. Sad to say. And his wife has been, his ex-wife has been dead um, as well. We'll just use the way that you do paranormal forensics and we'll get them on here on the microphone. <laughs> if it were that easy. <laughs> I wonder, like, that would be interesting if we're just like, and our guest today is, <laughs> and they're right here. And I'm like, here, take my microphone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, though. Not tonight. No, no, not not ever, probably. Okay. Well, um, this has been a weird episode. And... Yeah, but I hear from everybody they like our weird episodes. I wouldn't call it a throwaway, but yeah. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to edit some things out anyway. Not so, things I said. No. no definitely not things me. that I said for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll catch you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.